Amen. Amen. And thank you, Brother Deacons, for serving God's people and preparing. Well, if you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Judges, a book that is rated R. I just scared some uh, people in the house. Go ahead and bring the lights up uh, in the house, if you would, please. As I begin, I want to say thank you so much to uh, Pastor Wally and um, O.H. Nipper for uh, preaching God's word to God's people. Amen. Amen. I've been out of the uh, uh, pulpit for, uh, or pulpit or table, whatever you want to call it, haven't been preaching the last uh, couple Sundays, so if you feel a little heat more than normal, that's why. I haven't been preaching in the last two Sundays, and so uh, I'm just filled with the message of the book of uh, Judges, and this book will be in for the rest of the month of uh, August, okay? So uh, this is how the story goes. As I said, uh, the uh, book of Judges is rated R, okay? If, if I was creating a Bible with 66 books, Judges wouldn't be in there. No way, Yahweh. Let's pull that from the shelf and put that aside. I could, I could, it would be, uh, it would be accurate to um, entitle this series for the book of Judges in August, Hide the Women and Children. Okay? Hide the Women and Children. Um, but this is God's book, and if we really believe that God's word is sufficient for the needs of God's people, then that means the pastor needs to come to the Bible, not standing over the Bible, like I get to pick and choose, right? But he comes to the Bible and gets under it. What would you have me preach, Father? What would you have me say, Father? Well, and it's not a, like a, a crapshoot or a guessing game. The Father has given us it in print. Amen? So let's not be like a bunch of uh, other churches who are fawning at, at pastors that are saying, you know, we just can't identify with the Old Testament. Let's just cut off the Old Testament and begin with the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? That is so bad. That is ministerial malpractice, beloved. Imagine a man of God, a preacher. God calls him into the ministry. He does his ministry, and he gets to the judgment seat, and Jesus looks at him. What you got? He said, well... I told your people 75% of your, uh, your word really doesn't matter. That's what a lot of preachers are doing. A lot, of, a lot of preachers are doing that. Let's not do that, beloved. Let's not do that. This is how the story goes. Contentment leads to compromise. Compromise leads to complacency. And complacency always leads to corruption that's how the story goes and if you're taking notes it's actually worth writing down those four c's contentment compromise compromise complacency complacency corruption so i have four uh, pitfalls to avoid or four examples not not to follow all right, basically four uh, premises here from the entire book of Judges. I'm swinging for the fence. I might strike out, but um, I'm trying to hit a home run. I'm going to preach the entire message of the book of Judges, okay? So before we go any further, let's pray, all right? Let's pray, and um, if you would like for God to minister to you, then ask him to do that. If you want to waste your time and sit in about a 45-minute message and not get anything out, then don't ask anything of the Lord. 
just endure, right? No, 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 no. Make good use of your time. What do you need personally, and what does the body need? Pray, pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. And I thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. So come, come in power. Come and minister. Break down every barrier mentally, emotionally, spiritually that the enemy would have in order to get in the way of every listener to hear your word today. Amen. Amen. Demolish it. In Jesus' name. All right, number one, avoid a partial following of God's will. I see this in chapters one and two. This book begins with a leadership crisis. Imagine if someone got up and said, I've got news to announce, Pastor John is dead. And not only that, Pastor Mark is dead. That would be a leadership crisis in this church, amen? And wouldn't you think that the next Step that this church does would be very pitiful, uh, um, pivotal and strategic, right? If there was a loss of leadership, that's what's going on at the outset of the book of Joseph's, uh, big, book of Joseph's, book of Judges. <laughs> Moses, dead. Joshua, dead. So it begins with the leadership crisis. Let's begin at the beginning, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Now jump to verse 19 of chapter 1. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. Then they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had promised, and he drove out from there the three sons of what? Anak. Now that's interesting. Who are the three sons of Anak? Well, you know, don't you? Sheshai, Ahimon, and Telmai. And they are sons of the giant Anak. The most famous giant in the Bible is who? Goliath, right? But did you also know about Anak? And did you know the giant Anak had three sons? Their name, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Telmai. And this links, of course, back to Genesis 6, 1 through 4, which is a really strange event. If you know, uh, if you've been with us for quite a while, you know Genesis 6, 1 through 4 really well now, right? When the sons of God came into the daughters of men. They took wives, came into the daughters of men, and bore the Nephilim, right, who are the giants, okay? So there's giants in Genesis. There's giants in Numbers. There's giants in Deuteronomy. There's giants in Joshua. And now here where? In Judges. In fact, let's go to the next slide. Do you have uh, the, uh, the chart that I have for the giant clans? Okay. So the, the keynote file is on the upper right-hand portion of the desktop. So you'll have to go out of power the uh, worship thing and pull up the keynote, and just, we'll go from there, okay? So there's this chart that I have. It, it shows you the Nephilim, the Rephaim, the Zuzim, the Anakim, the Amorites. There's an unnamed giant. There's a Goliath. Then there's Lami. Then there's Ish, Ishbi Banath. There's Saf. There's the three sons that I've mentioned. There's King Og. The, there's the Emim and the Zamzumim. Giants, 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 giants. Okay? And growing up in church, I never saw the connection. Didn't see how the big story flows 
because God said to Abraham, through you, all of the nations will be blessed, right? I'm going to give you a land. And so you, then you have them going into Egypt, and then God delivers them out of Egypt. He declares judgment on the gods of Egypt, right? Raises up Moses. And then Moses is with the people, brings them to the lands of promise. They spy out the land, and they say what? We're not going in there. There's a bunch of giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And so there's the connection. Now back to verse 21. But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Verse 27. Go to verse 27. But Manasseh did not take possession. Go to verse 28. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor. Listen. But they did not drive them out completely. Verse 29, uh, Ephraim, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Uh, the bottom of verse 32, they did not drive them out. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 34, then the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country. This is to the north, by the way. For they did not allow them to come down to the valley, yet the Amorites persisted in living in Mount uh, Heres, in Ajalon, and in Sha'albin. But when the power of the house of Joseph grew strong, they became forced labor. All right? So, number one, let's not be like the people of God in the book of Judges. How? Avoid, listen, a partial fulfilling of God's Will. What was the will of God? Drive out the inhabitants. And among those people groups, there were giants and giant clans. They are manifested. They are literally evil incarnate. Okay? They're literally evil incarnate. And in this period, the nation of Israel was to drive them out. And they did not do it. They got into the promised land, and uh, this will be okay. This is good enough. By, by, this is good enough by... By the way, I'm tired of fighting God. I'm tired of fighting Yahweh. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you can relate to that in your Christian walk? God, I'm tired of fighting. Anybody or just me? Raise your hand if you feel like me like that sometimes, okay? Have you stopped fighting? Have you stopped fighting? To follow Jesus, you must fight the good fight of faith. It must be active. It must be active. Contentment goes to compromise, and compromise goes to complacency, and complacency goes to corruption. That is how it goes. The God-given mission was to drive out the Canaanites, Canaanites but they were content with forcing the Canaanites into labor, into labor. Beloved, listen, we must avoid a partial following of God's moral will. Ten Commandments. I like that one. I'm good with that one. Okay, I'll avoid that. Ooh, man, I don't know about that. We pick and choose. We pick and choose. We do it with the Bible, right? We do it with the Bible. Even like with this book, I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is so sweet and wonderful. We had the kids up here, and wasn't it beautiful to see them? Huh? Was it not beautiful to see the children? Amen? All right? Yeah, you can clap. This is a Baptist church, but we're not a dead Baptist church. Amen? Okay? And seeing them twirling around, and, and we're trying to teach them to worship the Lord with expressions 
so by the time they get to be adults, they won't look like they're baptized in lemon juice. Amen. All right? When a song says, with my hands outstretched, you stretch out your hands in worship to the Lord, right? Very pleasing to him. It's beautiful to have the children, right? And I'm thinking, okay, we're coming off this great week of VBS, and the children are here. And what am I teeing up in August? The darkest book in the entire Old Testament. That's rated R. That would make a homeschooler blush if they actually read the book. Big time. We must avoid a partial following, not just of God's moral will, but also of God's mission. God's mission. Number two, avoid what comes from not having a personal knowledge of the Lord. And what is that? Everyone say it out loud. Idolatry. Avoid what comes from not having a personal knowledge of the Lord. That is idolatry. What's the number one commandment? I mentioned the ten. What's number one? Excellent, Thomas. Very good. You will have no other gods before me. That is our number one. That's my number one problem. That's your number one problem. And it's all over the book of Judges. All over. Let's pick up chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. If you want to be more accurate in the pronunciation, it's Baals, or Baal. But we're in America, and we say Baals. Baal, right? That's fine. And they, verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed uh, themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to what? Anger. Anger. How many of you know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God of wrath? Right? He's a God of wrath. Fierce wrath. Why? Because he's a mean God? No, he's a good God and a holy God. And he deserves to be worshipped, loved, and served perfectly. So the cycle continues. They forsook the Lord, and uh, this is verse 13. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. So this is how the sad cycle goes. Let's pull up the slide that shows the sad cycle, please. There we go. This is judges in a nutshell. This is how it goes. The people rebel, and then what happens after uh, people sin against the Lord? What comes after that? Judgment. <laughs> okay. After we sin, what comes? Judgment. So there's a divine reckoning. Man rebels, divine reckoning. After that, things get, like, really bad. Why? Because they're under the judgment of God. And so God puts the squeeze on them, and what do they do? They do what you and I do. Help, Jesus. Help. Okay, I'll be better. I'll, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll put down this. I'll put down that. Help. Need that job. Help. 
And then what does God do? He's gracious. He, he's gracious. And he calls, he calls these judges. By the way, these judges, when you hear the word judges, don't think of the guy in the black robe. Who's the guy that really uh, disappointed us? He's the, uh, he's the uh, chief of the justices. What's his name? Roberts, right? Roberts. What's his first name? John Roberts. Yeah, don't think a cheesy-looking John Roberts up there in a black robe when you hear the word judges, book of judges. Think of, hmm, who shall I pick out? Yes, Mel Gibson in, what was that wonderful movie that Monica was pregnant in and we saw it and then it's time for a baby almost? Uh, Braveheart. There you go. Think of Mel Gibson in Braveheart. That's the judges. That's the judges. Fierce warrior, long hair, kind of like John the Baptist, right? Wearing a camel outfit and eating locusts, right? That's the judges. So here comes the judge, brings deliverance, and here comes restoration after that. Restoration. And guess what happens after the restoration? Contentment leads to what? Compromise. And then compromise goes to what? Complacency. And after complacency, what? Corruption. That's how the sad cycle goes in Judges. On and on. I was trying to get a better graphic. That was the best that I got. But it's not just a cycle like a flat cycle. It gets, look, look at me, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse as you read the book. To the degree I'm still a little nervous about how I'm going to finish up this message because I'm actually going to tell you how the book ends. Oh, sorry, don't hide the women and children, okay? This is how it goes. Avoid what comes from not having a personal knowledge of the Lord. Number three, avoid the growing decline into greater depravity. Uh, depravity. This is the, the, the heart of the book. Okay, so we've been kind of overviewing chapters 1 and 2, got the cycle of the book. Now we're getting into the very heart of the book, which is chapters 3 through 16. And then uh, there's a short third section. Let's go to the uh, slide, please, that shows the top judges, chapters 3 through 16. Uh, I've picked out six of the top judges, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah. Woo, wait till we get to Deborah. Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. Uh, Othniel is in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He's like Mr. Model. He's like, of all the judges, he's like the good guy. He's like pretty good. And after Othniel, bad, bad, bad. Whoa, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's not good. Eight years of bondage, and God sends Ethniel 40 years of peace. Ehud, chapter 3, 12 to 30, the assassin. Yeah, go read what he does. He's an assassin. 18 years of bondage, God sends Ehud, 80 years of rest. Now, he's not on the chart, but I can't begin Judges without mentioning Shamgar. Has anyone ever heard of Shamgar? I teed him up uh, a few times in devotions with my four sons when they were younger. In chapter 3, verse 31, my nickname for Shamgar would be overachiever. So there's only one sentence about Shamgar, and he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat. His name, he, he was properly named, his name means destroyer. Can you imagine one guy taking out 600 Philistines with an ox goat? I mean, wow. 
That's Shamgar. Deborah, chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, 31. She was one killer woman. Amen. 20 years in bondage. God raises her up. 40 years of rest afterward. This victory under Deborah was so great. By the way, so outstanding. Back then, it's like not normal to have a woman like in the fight and leading the fight. And she's a prophetess. This victory was so great, there was a song called the Song of Deborah that made history's greatest songs of all time list. Now, I won't spend the entire song, but let's go to uh, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24. This is in the middle of the, one of the history's greatest songs of all time. By the way, do you all have that in your, your phone or on your computer or in the home? You have like a greatest hits album? You all have that? Or, or what's that called when you make a list, a playlist? How many of you all have playlists, right? How many of you have music in your home? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you, do you turn on some songs sometimes that are like part of your favorite spin, right? All right. This is one of them. All right. This is one of them. All right. Judges 5, 24. Are you ready? Most blessed is the woman of Yael. The wife of Heber, the Kenite, most blessed is she of women in the tent. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a magnificent bowl, she brought him curds. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer, and then she struck Sisera. She smashed his head, and she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell where he bowed. There he fell dead. What happened to my amens? Aren't you excited about the... <laughs> Welcome to the book of Judges. <laughs> really dark, really violent. Now, I don't think the latest, greatest Christian worshiper, leader, or praise band will use that scripture for the next breakout praise and worship song. How about you? Right? You will not hear that song on popular Christian radio. By the way, can you imagine being married to Yale after that? Imagine having marital conflict issues with Yael. Imagine getting in a fight with Yael. I can imagine the husband trying to sleep with the covers pulled up to his eye. Good night, honey. Love you. All the while thinking, please don't put a tent peg into my head. Please don't put a, pen, a tent peg in my head. I can see the husband crumbling before the marriage counselor in tears. I'm afraid she's going to kill me, okay? Like, literally. That's why I give her whatever she wants. I could take this many ways right now, so many levels. But Monica's here listening, so let's continue. Next, judge is Gideon. Chapter 6, 1 through uh, chapter 8, verse 32. Gideon is a walking contradiction. That's a good nickname for Gideon. A walking contradiction. He's like the last of his tribe. Angel of the Lord comes and says, yo, I pick you. And he's like, me? Where's, where's, where's Yahweh? Where's his power? God uses him, and he basically ends up killing um, some of God's people at the end of his account. Seven years in bondage, God raises up Gideon, the walking contradiction, then comes 40 years of rest. 
Abimelech is next. He's a bit of a power-hungry tyrant. And there's a couple judges named Tola. His nickname is Red Worm. (laughs) That's actually what his name means, Red Worm. He's in chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. That's what his parents named him. Uh, There's also a minor judge called Jer in chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I like to give him the nickname 30 for 30. So if you watch ESPN, you know that program, 30 for 30. And uh, why would I nickname that? Because verse 4 says in chapter 10, he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities in the land of Gilead. So he's 30 for 30. Actually, he should be 30 for 30 for, for 30, right? Well, after uh, Jephthah, uh, or under Jephthah, the story starts to get darker, okay? It starts to get darker. Let's go to Judges 6, uh, sorry, Judges 10, verse 6, all right? If you got it, say, I got it. Those of you online, are you still with us? Judges 10, verse 6, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. How many times do you see the word gods in that one verse? Count them. Gods, 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 gods. At least five times, right? So I serve that as a highlight to show you how the idolatry is the biggest problem for God's people. And did you notice those five times are all in the plural? So it's not just another God, but what? Plural. Gods. Gods. Also notice the name of the Lord in this verse. The Hebrew is not Elohim, which is used for both the gods and the God of Israel. The Hebrew for Lord is Yahweh, Yahweh. So where did these gods come from? Are these gods mere figments of their ancient, simple imagination? The answer to that is, um, well, number one, they're, they're real. They're spiritual beings. And when you look up the word gods, it's all over the Old Testament. And the Hebrew word is Elohim. There's other terms, but it, it refers to a spiritual being. Okay? So you have spiritual beings that are cooking up this idolatry. Spiritual beings are cooking up false religions. Spiritual beings are against, uh, or behind, rather, uh, all of the cults. So it's spiritual warfare. These are the gods that God gave or allotted to the other nations of the world. God took Israel as his, as his own. He called Abram and promised that through him and his seed, all the nations would be blessed by a descendant, and that descendant's name is Jesus of Nazareth. Paul calls this promise, quote, the gospel in Galatians 3, 8. Right? That promise, old man Abraham, old woman Sarai, who became Sarah, that promise I'm going to bless the nations through your descendant, right? Paul calls that the gospel in Galatians 3.8. Now, back to Japheth. Let's go to uh, uh, Judges 11, verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, well, I hear pages turning. I'll wait real quick. 
Judges 11, verse uh, 30. If you're hungry, say, I'm hungry. If you're bored, there's the back uh, room or back door there. You can leave now. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Guess who comes out the front door? Pick up verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity and uh, I and my companions. And then he said, go. So he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and they wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her father who did to her according to the vow which he had made and she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. How horrible is that? Isn't that awful? Can you imagine that? I mean, this is in the Bible. What is going on? By the way, this can be very confusing for the reader. Listen, just because God uses someone doesn't necessarily, it's a wholehearted approval or a sanctioning of that person as an individual. You guys know that? Let's make that real clear. Like King Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, he's called the servant of God. They're pagans, okay? So don't, don't mix that up. And by the way, have, have you found out that that's also true of you, right? In other words, listen, God's not using us based on our own practical righteousness. You guys know that? Amen? That doesn't mean we should uh, be diminished in our pursuit of holiness. But I'm telling you what, if, if, if my, right, my practical righteousness or your practical righteousness is the measure in which God looks upon the earth and says, oh, he or she's really good, I'm going to use them, not a lot of hope for the world. Amen. Right? That's why we need a Savior. King Jesus. King Jesus. All right, let's go to Judges, Judges chapter 13, verses uh, 1 through uh, chapter 16, verse 31. When you read what Samson did in these chapters, it's like a combination of the Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and Drax the Destroyer from the Guardians of the Galaxy. All in one guy. All right? All in one guy. He's like uh, the Game of Thrones, which I've never seen, and I do not recommend, but I have heard it's very graphic. It's like that. Judges is a very dark book. If Hollywood would just stay with the script of Samson as written in Scripture, it would be a blockbuster movie hit. They would make, say it with me, Thomas, money, 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 right? Yeah. But 
They're too dumb to do that. They always mess up with the text. Unfortunately, because of time, I can't go into the details of the script today, but I would ask you to read them sometime this week, maybe just chapters 13 through 16. Uh, For our purposes today, let's go to Judges 16, verse 16. Judges 16, 16. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't have it and you need more time, say, I need more time. Okay, we're good. It came about when she pressed him. This is Delilah, by the way. Samson and what? Delilah, right? And Delilah wanted to know the secret of his strength, and and he wouldn't tell her until we get to the story here. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. (laughs) And I will continue reading verse 17. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money into their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven uh, locks of his hair. Then she began to uh, afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, tragic words. Are you all seeing a pattern here? God raises up a warrior to defeat specific evil kings and specific evil people, which leads to national rest. By the way, that's another key word in the book, uh, is rest. You want to make note of that. Rest in the Bible, listen to this, rest in the Bible comes after the battle is waged. That's when the rest comes. We prefer to have the rest without doing the fighting, oftentimes, don't we, right? So, Big picture. In the book of Judges, there are only three stages where we find God's people. Write these down. They are either in bondage, in warfare, or in rest. That's it. In bondage, how so? They're captive. They're not free. They're in warfare. They're fighting against evil and evil people. Or thirdly, they're in rest. They're experiencing peace. There is rest. There is relaxation. It's either in bondage, in battle, or on a break. That's it. And beloved, listen to me. Each generation of Christians must fight its own battles, right? It's the same battle of Genesis 3. It's the same battle of Genesis 6 and 11. There's nothing new under the sun. And yet, there are new faces of evil that come, both individually to us, collectively as a local church, collectively as evangelical churches in America and around the world. There's new faces of evil that come, even though there's nothing new under the sun. The devil covers his old, ugly face in new masks each era. And each generation of Christian must discern and disable the enemy by the power of God, by the word of God, by the angels of God. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, by prayer and fasting. So here's the application for us. So we've been on a little bit of a tour now. Now let's get personal with it, right? Let's get personal with it. What stage or situation are you in? Okay? Are you in bondage? Are you battling? Or are you on a break? You rest. And I don't say that in a, in a bad way. Are you in bondage? Are you battling? Or are you, are, are you in rest? You're on a break. Is there someone or something that has you in bondage? Is there a specific sin that you are captive to? What is its name? What is her name? Or what is his name? Are you captive to the person that harms you? How many years ago was it? What is his name? What is her name? How long has the bondage been? Look at the, look there. Has it been eight years for you? Has it been 20 years for you? Have you been in bondage to that person for 40 years? Whether you're in the situation of bondage, situation of battle, or on a break, this is what we must do. Here we go. Run to Jesus Christ in faith. In faith. Run to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to God's throne of grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're in bondage, call out to Jesus Christ to set you free today. No one else can do so but Jesus. Amen. No counselor but Jesus. No psychologist but Jesus. No pill-popping psychiatrist but Jesus. No pastor but Jesus. Amen. No daddy, no mommy, Jesus. He's the one. He's the one. Only Jesus can set you and me free, beloved. And if you're in the stage of battling or fighting, remember that it is only in Jesus Christ that we have the victory. In fact, he's already won the war. It's like the church is just engaged in mop-up operations. He's won the war when he walked up out of that grave three days later. And so we fight in the paradox of standing by faith in the victory he has already won for us. That's why it's called the good fight of faith. Someone might be thinking right now, but what about the memories? What about the memories, Pastor Mark? What do I do with those? This is what you do. You go to the cross. You go to the cross. And you look at the crucified, bloodied face of Jesus Christ that was marred more than any man. Look at that and say, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? It's interesting. I was thinking about this in my own life. And my thoughts this morning went to God, right? Because Pastor Mark sins on Sunday, just like you guys do. By the way, if I'm trying to build up a cult of personality, I would never say something like that, right? It's not about a cult of personality in this church, amen. The cult of personality we all want to be is behind Jesus Christ, amen? Amen? Would to God that he would... Well, never mind. 
Okay. I was thinking about the memories in my own life and how because of the covenant of Jesus Christ, right, God is still faithful to me. Even though I sin and we sin after we're saved by grace, how can God do that, right? So it's not like God forgets our sins in the sense that he deletes it in his own memory. When in the Bible it says that he forgets our sins or casts them is it to the sea of uh, uh, whatever, the sea of no remembrance, right? It's not like he can't, uh, in his mind, uh, recollect the sins. Those verses means that he will not hold those sins against us. So why does he do that among people that have been born again that sin after that? In his own mind, how does he do that? It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that's why. Remember what Jesus Christ cried on the cross? It is, say it, church, finished. And so, listen, so when those memories come of heartache, when those memories come of loss, when those memories come of abuse, use that, stop dwelling on that, go to the cross. Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Go to the cross. If you're in a period of rest, you too must run to Jesus Christ. Why? Hear me. Why? Because rest leads to complacency. Complacency leads to what? I lost most of the church. Right? Compromise. Compromise leads to what? Corruption. So, to you, hear me now, to you who are in a period of rest or on a break, you're not in bondage per se or battling per se, things seem to be kind of good for you, right? You're not struggling. Circumstances are good for you. You too are in massive danger because of this pattern. So listen, what are the good things that are calling you to complacency? Notice I said good things. What are the good things that call to you Now, all of that, what you just heard, was kind of like an individualized, personal application of what I'm seeing as a pattern in Judges. Do you all follow that? Okay, you follow that? Now I want to go corporate. I want to go to society, okay? Because there, there's a lot of evils that are affecting society, okay? And unless your life consists of your living room, maybe a church activity, surely the grocery store, perhaps a movie or two, in your Facebook posts, you probably know that critical race theory is hitting every facet of society. It is evil to the core. I, 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 uh, bump in, I bumped into uh, uh, Brother Rick, and he tells me that the ER, ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is not much ethics in that organization anymore, they're rolling out, Pastor John, you probably don't know this because we haven't talked, but I heard from Rick they're rolling out a Bible study that uh, is leading God's people to repent of their whiteness. That's the ERLC of the Southern Baptist Convention. Pull up the slide, please, of, of the, the summary. CRT has affected major churches 
led by guys like David Platt, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, including Ed Litton, who's the current president of the SBC. Seminary presidents have been infected or affected, like Danny Aiken of Southeastern, Al Mohler of Southern, Al Greenway of Southwestern. How many of you ever heard of Campus Crusade for Christ? Okay. Uh, under Dr. Uh, Bill Bright, he birthed that and led that. My father was uh, privileged to know Dr. Uh, Bright and wrote his biography and won a golden medallion uh, for that, which basically doesn't mean anything. You can't even get a cup of coffee for that, but anyways, right? So now Crew, which is formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, InterVarsity, uh, and other major national college-level ministries have been infected by the CRT. The Gospel Coalition and others. I'm a sheepdog and I'm barking. Out of one side of their mouths, you will hear them say, because I've heard it myself, I, I understand CRT. CRT is bad, but I also think we need to fight systemic racism. Listen to me very carefully. They're either ignorant of critical race theory or they are intentionally deceptive. So listen very carefully so you don't get duped or deceived. Systemic racism is part of the lie language of critical race theory, okay? Y'all get that? Don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. Systemic racism does not exist anymore in America. It did exist through what institution? Slavery. That's called systemic racism. Is there slavery anymore in America? We're the only country that fought civil war to end slavery. The only racism that exists, listen to me very carefully, it's in the heart of humans. Somebody please read the book of Jeremiah. Somebody please read the book of Ezekiel. We're basically through those two prophets, thus says the Lord. It's basic, it, it, um, they both cry out that it's the sin of each individual that we must give account to the Lord. To say that specific sin of racism is in every heart, listen, is to claim godlike knowledge, which would be wrong. Now, can y'all go ahead and uh, tap through so they can see all of it? My time's running out. It's been two weeks, beloved. What's the time? All right, about five minutes. Can you give me 25 minutes more? Just kidding. All right, let's wrap this up, okay? CRT is not just something that's, oh, I, I guess Pastor Mark's all upset about it, and I don't, okay. It's like a new religion, okay? It's like a new religion. Very quickly, here's the original sin according to good Bible evangelical belief. Where did we uh, get our original sin from? It was inherited from whom? Adam, right? In CRT, the original sin is white privilege. The original sin is racism. Here's another thing they like to tee up. this way. Patriarchy, all right? They have their own canon among evangelicals, or at least it used to be. What's the canon? The Bible. The canon is closed. Thank you very much. Right? But in CRT, what's the canon? Sociology. And you have pastors saying, well, yeah, Bible, but have you read? Have you read? Have you read? And so they tee up CRT authors. 
I don't need those CRT authors, okay? The Bible is sufficient for God's people, including the sin of racism and reconciling whites and blacks and Asians and Pacific Islanders and pick your ethnicity. It's only through Jesus Christ we become one. The gospel is enough. And these preachers don't believe it or they're deceived, one or the other. What's the gospel according to evangelical belief? Well, it's being born again. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit regenerates. Jesus told the Pharisee, right, you must be born again. What was the name of that guy? John 3. Nicodemus, thank you. You must be born again. How does that happen? Right? It's beautiful to have all these babies occurring. What part did you have in your conception? Amen, beloved. What, what part did you have in your own conception? Absolutely zero, okay? It's mommy and daddy, right? So too, the Holy Spirit caused us to be born again. Oh, but in CRT, this is how, oh yeah, you need to get woke, right? Get woke. In other, and what do they mean by that? This is what they mean by it. Be awakened to your racism because you're white. That's what they mean. Get woke. Quickly, what's the process of sanctification? It's whereby the Holy Spirit enables us to grow by grace, right? Well, in CRT belief, it's activism. You've got to say their names. Say the right thing. What's church discipline according to Jesus? Well, it's called Matthew 18. Most pastors are scared to do that. Right? But in CRT, what is it? It's shaming, and oh no, here it comes. You get blocked on social media. <laughs> right? Shaming. You lose your job, the cancel culture. Where is the unity found? I've already said it's found in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter about your color of skin, it's found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Come on. Oh no. But CRT. It's found, listen to me, it's found in your oppression. And so you got political Jezebelian women like Nancy Pelosi, right, churning up all that divisive stuff. That's what politicians do. Uh, group here, group here, identity group here, identity group here. You got the blacks here, you got the whites here, you got the black lesbians here, you got the black female lesbians here, you got all these identity groups. This is bad stuff. This is bad stuff. I fear for the future of our country. I hope I'm not speaking prophetically, but I see the fracturing happening. Is this, is this kind of thing and other things, that's the, the Marxism that is seeping up into this church, is it going to lead to some type of sense of uh, cessation? We have some states that are sick and tired of the federal government and saying, we're done with you. We're done with your two-tiered system of justice, right? I don't know. I don't know, but what I do know is the enemy, he is playing America. He's playing America, and it's dangerous. No Christian should support a Democrat, period. There's reasons why. Finally, redemption purchased by Jesus Christ alone. This is how you get saved according to the CRT religion. You must engage in activism. And that will just continue and continue and continue and continue. That's how you get saved, your activism. 
All right, number four. Number four, then we're done. It's 12 o'clock. All this leads to avoid not, have, avoid not having King Jesus as your king. After Samson, it gets worse. This is how bad it is. I'll just review very quickly. A Levite has a concubine. Is that okay according to the word of God? You guys, what, you guys know what a concubine is? There's children in the room. Do I have to define it for you? Are we good? Okay. Is it okay for a Levite to have a concubine? No. Not supposed to. She leaves him for someone else. She goes back to her home. He goes and finds her, takes her back. They go to a town. The men of the town surround their dwelling and demand that the man comes out. This is Judges 19. Sounds a lot like Genesis 19 where the militant homosexuals want the two angels sent to rescue Lot and his family, right? The host of where they're staying gives his daughter and the Levite's concubine to satisfy the men. They abuse the women so bad they die. Do you see how bad it is among God's people? The Levite cuts his dead concubine's body and sends a body part to each of the other tribes. It's as if he sent a, a, a via FedEx 12 care packages that no one would want to receive. And that rouses all of the tribes against the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, civil war. When it was over, only 600 men remained in the tribe of Benjamin. Now, as I close, look at chapter 21, verse 24. All right, chapter 21, verse, uh, sorry, I said 24, I meant 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That sums up the book. That sums up the book. It also sets up the reader, by the way, for the next book, which is what? What comes after Judges? Ruth. And what's Ruth about? The story of the line of David. Where did Jesus come from? The line of David, right? People cry out when Jesus came, Hosanna to the son of David. So, beloved, listen, as I close, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Amen. How do you know he's king? How do you know he's Lord? When he tells you to do something and you don't want to do it, and you do it anyways because he's your king. He's your Lord. That's how you know he's Lord. This king is not like the earthly kings. He does not save through his sheer manifested uh, and obvious weight of his power in the sense of uh, clearly his power. This king lays down his own life. This king saves through humility, through shame, through weakness, through a Roman cross. Pastor Wally in his last message last Sunday, he wrapped up with Corinthians, right? What did Paul say in the first chapter of Corinthians? God chose the foolish things, the base things to confound the wise. That's exactly what God did through the judges. And God can do whatever he wants to do through whomever he chooses. And he often does it to confound the wise. Listen, when a person or a society denies that there is objective truth, it will lead to subjective morality, and that subjective morality leads to corruption, both for the individual and for a society. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes.
So there's corruption. There's corruption. So the Lord's calling us to repent, right? Of complacency, of compromise, of corruption. For example, there's a Roman Catholic news organization that specializes in investigative journalism, something, by the way, that's largely not done anymore in America. And that news organization is called The Pillar. This investigative um, news organization, through a 26-week period in 2018, uh, their team pulled the signal data from mobile phones in cloistered parts of the Vatican. Okay? Y'all following with me? This showed dozens of devices were emitted serially occurring hookup and dating app data signals from secured areas and buildings of the Vatican, ordinarily inaccessible to tourists and pilgrims, with an emphasis on the gay hookup app Grinder. The report includes the following, and I'm quoting from their report, quote, extensive location-based hookup or dating app usage is evident within the walls of Vatican City in restricted areas of St. Peter's Basilica, inside Vatican City government and Holy See's administration buildings, including those used by the Vatican's diplomatic staff in residential buildings and in the Vatican gardens, both during daytime hours and overnight. Close quote. Corruption. Corruption. God is calling us to repent of corruption compromise and complacency. Let's pray together.